you turn with me to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. We'll begin reading in Daniel chapter 1 and look at the scriptures that Daniel gives us and then we will then turn over to the book of Matthew and look at some of the words of Christ as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there are certain times in life that you just have to make a decision. You have to stick with the decision. Uh, we sang a song this morning. Uh, it talked about how we have decided to follow Christ. No turning back, no turning back. Once that decision is made, then we are all in. And there are certain decisions like that in life. Um, sometimes we might even make a wrong decision, uh, and we just kind of got to go with it. Uh, and we got to just stick with it. But sometimes there's a right decision that has been made and it just causes difficulties and difficulties come and we start thinking man that's maybe maybe I shouldn't have made this decision and sometimes we start faltering and, and, and part of what we've got to do is have determination and perseverance to say we know this is right and we will stand firm where we are and we will follow through because we know it is the right thing to do um, and, and oftentimes what we'll discover is we turn around or we change course, it, it'll cost us even more. Uh, I can remember when I was a youth minister, uh, I was uh, still young. We'd taken uh, a group to Atlanta to do a mission trip, uh, and, and then we had uh, left the, the campus where we are doing the mission trip late one evening, uh, and I was driving a van with my brother and the kids, and, and we got lost in Atlanta, um, and, and that's not a good feeling. Uh, but we were out on the loop and we saw our hotel from where we were passing it. Notice I said we were passing it. Uh, we could not get off, uh, could not get to it. That's a, that's a bad feeling too, to be able to see your destination and not have any route to it. And, and we just kept going. And, and I told my brother, I said, well, how do we get there? And he said, well, uh, all, he said, the, the lucky part is we're on a loop. Uh, if you've ever been to Atlanta, they got a loop that goes around Atlanta, um, and he's like, so we're going to loop back around, uh, and we'll come to the hotel, uh, and I'm like, okay, uh, so you think we ought to just stick in this direction, and we're going to come back around, and we'll find our exit, and he's like, uh, yeah, I think that's a good plan, that loop is long, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever gone around the loop of Atlanta, but I will tell you this, Atlanta is bigger than Picayune, man, it felt like I was orbiting the earth. Uh, and, and about 30 minutes out, I looked at my brother and I went, dude, I don't think we're coming around. He went, no, it's a loop. A loop means that you are going to loop around. Stick with it. 15 more minutes, I looked at him and I said, I, I hadn't seen anything that we've seen before. So, I mean, it was forever. And, and at one point I said, do you think we're going to turn? I mean, we know it's back there. Do we need to turn around and go back? And he went, at this point. You're going to turn around, you're going to go back. And I'm telling you, it's right on the other side. So you're going to spend another 45 minutes going in this direction. And it was that kind of in-between decision. Do we turn around at this point and go back because we know it's back that way? Or do we just keep going forward and, and finally find it? And eventually we found it. Uh, and we stuck with the direction that we were going. In life sometimes, though, we kind of get in those moments of, do I continue to press forward? Do I turn around? Do I do these things that are behind me? Because sometimes the things that are behind us are more comfortable to us. And even when the things behind us uh, are difficult. I mean, do you remember when the nation of Israel or the Hebrew people got to the promised land the first time? 
and they didn't go in. And the spies came back and said, look, guys, I'm telling you, you go over there, there's fortified walls, and, and there's people that they're going to kill us. We don't need to go into the land. And if you remember what the leadership said, is it would be better for us to go back to Egypt right now and start making bricks again and be slaves again than to die here in this land. Sometimes even slavery in the past is something that is comfortable because it's what we have known. That's the Hebrew people wanting to return to Egypt and be slaves again instead of moving forward to get their freedom in God. Guys, the past can be a comfortable place, and, and what happens to us is oftentimes when we try to make that transition and we try to go forward is we start remembering the comfort of the past because we don't know what lies ahead in the future. We don't know what the next day holds, but we know that we made it through this. And, and oftentimes what we've got to do is when we make that decision to go forward, we've got to stick with it, we've got to persevere, and we've got to overcome. How do we do that? Well, it, in essence, we make Christ everything. We surrender everything to Christ. We follow Christ in all matters, in all directions. That is the number one principle in our life above all else. No matter what it is that we desire, no matter what it is that we want, no matter what it is that has us distracted, the one thing that we want above all else is Christ in our life. Here in the book of Daniel, you'll see Daniel as he is kind of taken captive and taken over to Babylon, and it becomes an important aspect within his life. Is he going to maintain his faith, or is he going to become more Babylonian? Is he going to be influenced by the new environment that he finds himself in if you would look with me in Daniel chapter 1 we will begin our reading of verse 1 Daniel chapter 1 verse 1 says this in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring the uh, some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to, Dan uh, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michelle, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to devile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. 
Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So we agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found one e uh, no one equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Here in chapter 1, you get a transition taking place in Daniel's life and in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as we know them from the stories that take place in the book of Daniel. You get a transition in their life that they did not want, that they did not decide upon, nor did they choose. Nebuchadnezzar has gone over and he has captured Judah and he is taking captives back from Judah over to Babylon. And what they do is Babylon brings them with them and they try to assimilate them into the culture. In other words, they want them to become Babylonian. Now we know when the Persians take over and Cyrus is the king of Persia, they have a different foreign policy. What Cyrus does with the Persians is he leaves you alone and you allow, you are allowed to maintain your own culture and at that point you just pay tribute to Persia. But the Babylonians actually wanted to assimilate them into Babylonian culture. And one of the things that the king did immediately when he gets the, the captives back from Judah is he tells his officials that, man, I really want you to choose the best among them. I want you to choose the brightest among them, the most handsome among them. I mean, I want those individuals who would fit into a royal court. So somebody who looks kingly, somebody who looks as though they could be a government official, I want them selected out. And then what we're going to do is we're going to bring them in and we're going to train them in the Babylonian culture. We're going to give them the literature and we're going to give them the understanding of Babylon. We're going to give them all the things about Babylon and we're also going to make them look kingly. And therefore, you're going to have these foreigners kind of infiltrating this Babylonian government, but it's making them a part of Babylon. So what they're trying to do is get these people from Judah to give up their heritage and their culture and to become more Babylonian. Matter of fact, uh, in the New Testament time, what you will discover when you start reading the New Testament, there's a whole lot of things that are present in the New Testament that are not really present in the Old Testament. I mean, think about it, when you start reading the Gospels, you see groups like the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and all of these groups, they're not in the Old Testament. A lot, of, a lot of stuff came out of the years that they spent in Babylon, and what you see as the Jewish people return and begin to build Jerusalem and the temple and things of that nature, these factions kind of come out as a result of 70-some-odd years in Babylon, where Babylon tried to infiltrate their mind and really and truly assimilate them to this foreign culture so there was a whole lot of shifts and changes that were taking place and what we do is we meet Daniel in this instance in his very first moments within Babylonian culture and the king has selected him Meshach Shadrach and Abednego to become a part of the court to become a part of the government it's a great honor 
I mean, out of all of Judah, he chose these four individuals to become leadership within Babylon. Evidently, they stood above all others mentally. They stood above them physically. They stood above them in many attributes. And what we see is the king has selected them and given charge, one of his officials over them, and said, I want them to be what I want them to be in a few weeks. So give them whatever diet that, that the king eats, so allow them to participate in the, in, in the food of the court. Allow them to drink the wine of the court. Allow them to be treated as government officials in Babylon. Well, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are, of course, Jewish. And Judaism has very strict dietary laws. There are things that they will not eat, and there are things that they will eat. And the diet of the Babylonians did not fit the cultural diet of the Jewish people. And it was more than just the cultural diet. I mean, there are some things, right, that, that I like eating, and there are some things that I don't like eating. I had a missionary friend of mine who uh, spent time in South America, uh, probably four years, and in Africa for three years, and he told me that he never asked somebody what he was eating before he ate it. And he never asked anybody what he ate until an hour after he ate it. Because if you ask them before you eat it, you ain't going to eat it. If you ask them right after you ate it, it's coming back out. Uh, so you've got to give it enough time for your body to get it far enough in. It's not just going to come back out when you ask it. There are certain things I don't like. Other cultures love them. I mean, they eat things that I don't think I would ever touch. And I'm, very, I'm, I'm kind of finicky. I'm kind of particular about the things that I eat. But, I mean, and, and some of y'all even love things that I won't touch. I, I mean, I have, I've got family that lives in Jennings, Louisiana, and we went over to visit them one time, and uh, they said, what do y'all want for lunch? And I said, Popeye's, that's Louisiana cooking. Uh, and he goes, no, we're going to give y'all a treat. So he went to the Boudin King. The Boudin King uh, brought back something that looked nasty. Uh and I know some of y'all, y'all like boudin. We live close enough to Louisiana. Y'all eat your boudin. Some of y'all even eat that blood boudin. That's gross. <laughs> y'all need to get right. Uh, that's nasty. Something looks like that, don't go in your mouth. That's all I'm saying. When you put the rice and all that something in another bowl, I'll eat it. But you wrap it in some type of material like they wrap that in. I ain't touching it. I got particular tastes. But this is not a matter of Daniel looking at the Babylonian food going, that's gross. How could anybody ever eat that? That's not what's going on. What is going on here is he's saying, God has told me to abide by these rules and these laws and these guidelines, and I am going to honor my God. It's not a matter of taste buds. It's not a matter of my stomach cannot handle what you put before me, the food they were delivering was good, but Daniel simply says, I will follow my God no matter where I am. You can put me back in Judah, and I am going to follow God to the T. You can put me in Babylon in a different culture, ruled by different people, and I'm going to follow my God to the T. Dietary laws, religious laws, Remember, it's not very long into Daniel that the people start really disliking Daniel because he's rose in favor with the king so much that they set him up and they make the king sign it, or they don't make a king sign an edict, but they get an edict signed that says anybody who prays to anybody else other than you will be killed. 
And of course, they wrote this with Daniel in mind. Why? Because every single day, Daniel prayed to his God in the same way. And when the edict was passed, guess what Daniel did? He prayed to his God in the same way. You see, what Daniel is saying in essence is it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter who, where I am located. It doesn't matter what empire I'm a part of. It doesn't matter who surrounds me. I follow my God. Daniel was stubborn in that way. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were stubborn in that way. They passed the edict that everybody bow down and worship the king. When the flute or the lyre or any musical instrument passed, we know Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were the three people standing when everybody else bowed. Because they were individuals that no matter where you put them and no matter what their surroundings were, they were going to follow God. Guys, that is the commitment that we need. That's what it means when I say, I have decided to follow Christ, I have decided to follow Jesus, and there will be no turning back. Even if all of my circumstances shift, even if all of my circumstances change outside of my control, in ways I do not choose, I will follow Christ no matter what. Daniel looks at the guy who brings him the food and says, I don't want to eat your food. I don't want to drink your wine. I want vegetables and water. And the guy goes, look, man, I like you, but I don't know about this. The king has set you a specific diet. And if you don't eat that diet and then you walk out of here looking all scraggly and, and small and everybody else is looking large and built, because back in that day and time, if you were in the court, you were a large person typically because that's the people who had the food. Most of the commoners didn't have money, did not have access to a lot of food, but those in the court, they would look large men. I would be acceptable in a court back then. They didn't want Daniel to come out looking small, scraggly, unmuscular. He needed to present himself as, as an individual. They wanted him to come out looking like everybody else. And he understands that all these other men are eating what the king sends them. Here's Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego who wants to eat vegetables and water. And he says, man, when I bring y'all out before the king, the king's going to ask me why y'all look like this and why they look like this. And then it's going to be my fault. And he's going to take my head. And Daniel says, I tell you what, for 10 days, you allow us to abide by the laws of our God. For 10 days, you allow us to eat what he allows and drink what he allows. And then you can see. And the guy goes, all right, you got 10 days. Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego ate vegetables and water while everybody else was partaking in the food and the wine. Guys, it would have been easy for them to say, look, I'm in Babylon. They're feeding me this. This is what they're bringing me. I just got to eat it. They didn't do that. They said, we are going to stick with the principles of our God. And in 10 days, they looked better and they looked more healthy and, and, and they were radiant compared to the others. When they marched out in front of the king, the king chose them above all else. Why? Because they stuck to the principles of their God matter where you are it doesn't matter if they just bring you free stuff you've got to follow the principles of God when we surrender to him we're truly saying in all instances I will follow you no matter where you lead me 
If you will turn with me to the book of Matthew quickly in chapter 7. At the end of chapter 7, you have Jesus wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. This is a famous parable. And, and it, is, uh, it is one that I've spoken on before, I'm quite sure. It is a very simple. Uh, it's applicable to life. And it is something I think that we need to hear and that we need to embrace. In chapter 7 of Matthew, at the very end of chapter 7, you have the parable of the wise and foolish builders, beginning in verse 24. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the uh, winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus had finished saying these things. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Very famous parable. Two people are building a house. One builds it on a firm foundation. One builds it on sand. Rain, wind, storm comes. The firm foundation lasts. Rain, wind, storms comes against the one that's built on the sand. Sand washes away. Foundation is gone, and the whole house crumbles down. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's summing up his sermon in this way. And what he says is, if you will abide by the principles that I taught you, then you will have a firm foundation. If you choose not to abide by those principles and do whatever you want to do, then you're going to have a weak foundation. And guys, typically when you're laying a foundation to a house that you're building, it is not in the midst of a storm. Usually we cancel construction when the storms come in. It's usually a pretty nice day. Many times we will not build when we're expecting some type of destructive mechanism to come forward immediately. What you have to have is foresight to understand that this could happen. These storms are going to come one day. I remember an individual who was helping build the church I was at when I was a youth minister. He was probably in his late 70s when I got there, uh, and, and he told me how the building was built. And, and he told me that everybody who came by when he was building that building because he was over the construction of it would tell him, you don't need that many braces. You don't need that thick of concrete. You don't need all these things. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you ever had to drop a wire in that church, God bless you because you'd go through about 18 two-by-fours. I mean, that man braced that church. I, I'm telling you, it might not be a safer place in the world. And he looked at me and said, every time somebody would tell me I didn't need that brace or I didn't need that thick of concrete or I didn't need this, he said, I looked at him and went, I went through Camille. And it may come again. And they'd be like, Camille's a one-time-in-a-lifetime storm. He went through Katrina. <laughs> you got to have foresight to know things might happen. And, and the church stood. It was, I mean, it was perfectly good when uh, Katrina got done with it. You've got to have foresight that those things are coming. And you know what? In life, guys, it's not even a guess. In life, storms are coming. You're going to experience them. There's going to be some bad days. There's going to be some days that are just rough. And what Jesus is saying is you need to prepare for those things. How do you prepare for them? You don't know what's coming. 
One of the most difficult aspects of my job at the school is I'm looking at, at kindergartners and first graders who are going to be graduating in 11 years, and I can't even begin to tell you what the world's going to look like in 11 years. I mean, think about how, the, how much the world's changed in 10 years. I mean, what you can do on a phone now, just within a 10-year span, how phones have changed and how computers have changed and, and how the world has changed and how much more global it is now. And I'm looking at kindergartners and first graders that are graduating in another decade, and I'm, I'm preparing them for a world that I don't even know what that world's going to look like. Artificial intelligence, cars that float. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I might have a jetpack that I'm flying to work with, but that's going to be a hefty jetpack. Um but I might. Who knows? We don't know what that world's going to be like. How do I prepare kids for a world that I don't even know? You teach them tried and true principles that it doesn't matter what the world looks like. Those principles are going to help them succeed in that world. Guys, what Jesus is saying is these principles, because let me tell you, he was a first century Jew, ruled by the Romans. Maybe he had a little bit of insight of what the future held, but I guarantee you nobody sitting around him while he's delivering the sermon on that would have ever dreamed this. Would have ever dreamed this. So what he's saying is if you follow these principles, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It don't matter if you're in Judah, Babylon, or the U.S. You follow these principles, you have a firm foundation. You follow these principles, you have a life worth living. If you choose to go in your own way, God bless you. Simple as that. Because if you choose to go in your own way, your foundation is weak. And I can promise you, whatever world you live in, life has a way of bringing storms. And you need to prepare properly to deal with those storms. How do we do it? We accept the principles of God. We live according to those principles. And truly, Christ has to be everything to us. If we can do that, if we embrace that and we live accordingly and we will be like Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, no matter where they were, they were serving Yahweh. No matter where they were, they were the men he called them to be. If we can do that, then we will be the people who are wise and listen to the words of Christ as we try to live life for him and overcome the storms of this life. May we find that foundation. May we understand what it is May we live life upon it so no matter what comes our way, we may overcome, we may persevere, and may, we may honor him. Let us pray. God, we come before you this morning. I thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you've given us. I thank you for the comfort that you offer us. Lord, I thank you for the foundation that you have offered unto us. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive it and receive it well as we truly seek to follow you, as we truly seek to go in the directions that you give us and teach us. God, I pray that we would walk by faith and walk in your grace so that we might overcome whatever waits ahead, no matter what world it is, no matter what society it is, no matter what culture it is. May we honor you and glorify you in all things. And Lord, truly understand that that is the life that is worth living. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning we'll have a time of invitation. Any decisions need to be made in a public fashion, Feel free to come forward at this time. Please stand. Okay.